Okay, well, grab your Bible or your device with the Bible app on it, and let's, uh, let's open up to James chapter 5. We're in verses 13 through 20, so just turn to the end of the book of James. And uh, always good for you to grab your uh, tablet or your phone or your actual uh, Bible there and open it up with us. We'll have the scripture for you there on the screen, um, but you might want to follow along in your own Bible there, or even your own translation. I'll be reading from the, the English Standard Version today, um, and you might want to track back with us as we kind of all read it, and then we'll kind of walk back through it today. And we are, we are finishing up. This is our 11th week in the book of James. This is our 11th message in the book of James. So if you've missed some or if you're new tuning in with us, uh, all that's available online in our YouTube channel or on our website uh, where you can listen to either just the audio or watch the, the video there. And uh, so today, We'll be wrapping up this book, and um, and the the topic today, or the sermon title today, is prayer and pursuit in a broken world. Prayer and pursuit in a broken world, from James chapter five, verses thirteen through twenty. You know, the the U.S. Army has a something they call the warrior ethos, uh, and it states the following: This is the U.S. Army warrior ethos. I will always place the mission first. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. And I will never leave a fallen comrade. Uh, it's, it's a very mission-centered um, statement there, isn't it? It conveys commitment. It, it ties them together. Uh, they're not going to leave one another behind, as it says, because they are, they are in this thing together. This guiding principle, this ethos, is very important in the army because when war happens, right, and you're on a battlefield, you have to be committed to the mission. You have to be committed to finishing the job, finishing well, and you have to be committed to one another and know uh, that your brother out there has your back. Well, I state that that is to point out to us as we dive into the text this morning that the Christian life is war. Uh, we, are, we are living in a fallen and broken world. Sin is everywhere. Brokenness and the ramifications of sin is everywhere. Hurt, pain, sickness, suffering, these are very real things. We have a real enemy. Uh, who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Uh, where there's a spiritual war going on out there. And in the midst of this, we are, we're called to live for Jesus. Uh, we're called to share the gospel with people, to share the good news with people. We're called to persevere in our faith. And we're called to do every single one of these things together. As a community of faith, we're in this together. We are God's people. Uh, in this together, tied to one another through our common faith in Jesus Christ. So we need to be committed to one another, committed to the mission that God has called us to, and committed to not leaving one another behind. So today we're closing out our study in the book of James, and the believers that James wrote this to were facing this broken world, life in this broken world in, in, in very vivid ways. Suffering, poverty, persecution were the types of things that this community of faith was facing. And as James brings this letter to a close, this letter where he's addressed this, these various things throughout the five chapters, he comes back to the topics of suffering that we saw last week, as we saw last week in chapter 5. And we talked about persevering and, and, and being patient, having patient endurance um, in, in suffering. And this week, he talks about prayer and he talks about pursuit of those who wander from the truth. And so, so today we're going to see the importance of prayer and pursuit in a broken world. And if we're, if we're going to endure, if we're going to be patient in our, in our sufferings and persevere and endure, we need to pray for one another. And we need to pursue one another if in the midst of this broken world we begin to wander or somebody in the, in the, in the, in the church begins to wander from the truth. So our big idea, big idea today before we dive into the text is this. In this broken world, the local church should be a community of prayer and a community that pursues those that wander from the truth. 
We should be a community of prayer and a community that pursues those who wander from the truth. So we're going to read this in sections today. We're going to read verses 13 through 18, and then we'll talk about that, and then we'll, our second point, we'll get into verses 19 and 20. So look with me. James chapter 5, starting in verse 13, James writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So the main theme of this section is prayer, right? James encourages prayer for yourself. He encourages prayer for others. He encourages you to ask for prayer. He encourages prayer from the leaders. It's prayer soaked in in every way. And this section and the next section uh, we will read in in a little bit um, are connected by the phrase you see there in verse 13, among you. Is anyone among you suffering? Anyone cheerful? Anyone sick? Right, that phrase, among you. He's talking about the the community of faith, the the local church. These are instructions for the local church in doing life together in this broken world where suffering and sin and sickness are are a part of life. So two points today, very simple. Number one, the community of faith should be a community of prayer. The community of faith should be a community of prayer. He says here, suffering. He says here, the cheerful times. He talks about when you're cheerful. He talks about sickness, uh, which is a specific type of suffering. And, and the point is this. We should look to God in all seasons. No, no he's, he's naming various seasons, right, of life. In all these circumstances, in all these seasons, we should be looking to God. Uh, there should not be a season and there should not be a circumstance that we're not praying through and looking to God in the midst of. Our lives are to be God-centered because we're God's people. So let's kind of walk through these areas. We're going to spend the the most time with the the third area, but the the first area here he talks about is suffering. We pray when we suffer because we need God's help to endure, right? To deliver and to strengthen us. And and this may be be the time uh, that we're most likely to look to God. Right when when things are bad, when things are painful, um, we're we're reminded in suffering of of our need, but we're reminded here to not turn away, to not grow bitter, because that could be the temptation if if we don't go to God in prayer, is that we grow bitter or that we get angry with God, or that we um we we get we get distracted and we get kind of consumed by our suffering and we just kind of tune God out. And He says, no no no, you need to if you're if you're suffering, you need to. You need to pray, he says. You need to lean on God. He's your hope in the midst of that. What about when you're cheerful? That's the second category. Um, He says this means things may be going well, but if or if things aren't going well, you're still in good spirits, right? You're doing spiritually well. Uh, one commentator called it, uh, you're buoyant. Uh, things, you're, you're not sinking down, and, and, and you're, you're cheerful. You're up, right? He says, well, what do you do in those moments, right? When, well, he says you're, you sing praise. He says, give praise to God, sing praise. When, when we give praise to God, when we are suffering or when we're down, we know only God is our hope. And when we're up and when things are going our way or, or we're feeling good and, and times are good, we know every good gift is from God, as James says in chapter 1. J.A. Motyer, uh, the Bible scholar, writes it this way. He says, trouble can give rise to an attitude of surly rebellion. 
against God and the abandonment of spiritual practices. Equally, times of ease and affluence beget complacency, laziness, and the assumption that we are able of ourselves to cope with life and that God is forgotten. Uh, The thing here, the point is that there's not a season of life or a circumstance of life that should not be filled with praise and with prayer. In all seasons, our lives should be Godward. He, he is our hope. He is our deliverer, our rock, our fortress. And at all, time, all times, our lives should be uh, caught up in him, right? Looking to him. You know, I, I've got uh, three kids ages two, five, and seven, in the course of, let's say, a Saturday, okay, just, just think about that for a second, in the course of our home on a Saturday, we may have kids that fall down and get hurt and need help, right? We may have kids, because they're running around playing, we may have kids uh, that, that create something and they're super proud of it and they want to show that off, or they may do something wrong or, or, or even something sinful and they may need to be corrected or, or they, they may need to, to go apologize to their brother or their sister. And in all those instances, I want them to look to me as their dad for comfort, for encouragement, for celebration in, 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 of that awesome thing they made or for correction when they need it uh, and, and help and wisdom in those situations. My relationship with them doesn't change based on the circumstances of what kind of day they're having or the moment of that day. So how much more does God our Father in heaven want us to come to him in every season of life, whether we're cheerful, suffering, or or sick, uh, to lean on him, to give him glory, to talk to him, to rejoice in him, to look to him, to pray to him. He's he's always our Father. He's always our God. We're always his children, and we need to always be coming to him in prayer or in praise. Now, the third category here is the category of sickness. James begins to address this in verses 14 through 16. And in this broken world, at times, we do get sick. We know ultimately we all die in this broken world. And here James gives very specific instruction. There are times when you are sick that you should call on the elders, he says. That's the pastors of the church to pray. Now, James says that the elders are to pray over the person, anointing the person with oil in the name of the Lord, right? It's the Lord who does the healing. And now, there's a lot of debate about this passage. And rather than spend time kind of going into all the different possible things that different people and well-meaning people and God-loving people, Bible-loving people uh, believe, I want to share with you that what I believe this Bible, what this Bible passage is teaching. Uh, I believe, first of all, this is physical sickness and not uh, some just spiritual sickness he's talking to. Most likely, it's more serious issues. It's not, you know, for instance, I wouldn't say it's every time you're getting a stomach ache, for instance, that's, I don't, or, you know, or, or stumping your toe. Uh, that's not the point here. In the illustration, the man is calling on the elders to come to him and it's probably because he's so sick that he can't go to them. He's probably not even able to go to church. And so that's the situation in this particular illustration. But so um, it's obviously probably more serious sickness. And the oil is symbolic here. Um, there's nothing in the oil that has healing. It doesn't seem to speak to a medicinal use here. Some people believe that the oil here was just medicinal. Uh, well, these are pastors they're calling on, not elders, right? And so when you need medicinal things, call a doctor. Um, but in the spiritual realm here, we're, they're calling on their pastors. So I, I don't believe that it's a medicinal purpose. I believe that it's a, a symbolic purpose. You know, anointing with oil... Um, and uh, is, is seen throughout the Bible. It's actually, you, there's a, in the New Testament, you see the disciples that use that um, when, when, they, when they were out praying for uh, people. And, 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 and here, you see it uh, in the, also in the Old Testament. 
when kings would be anointed with oil. Like when you think about David, when, when, when Samuel, when God told Samuel that David's going to be king in, the, in, in, in 1 Samuel, he, he prays over, he, he goes, excuse me, he takes oil and he anoints David's head with oil and the, the oil runs down and, and it's showing that God has chosen this person as king. He is setting him apart to be the king um, of Israel. And, and in this situation here, I believe in the New Testament, in James, what is happening here is the oil is showing that the leaders are setting this person apart, asking God for his special attention to the, the person due to their sickness. It also uh, may symbolize the Holy Spirit. As we know, it is God who heals. And we're asking the Holy Spirit to, to touch this person and touch their life. So it's symbolism. And we've done this before at North Park. And I, I've got a little example here. I'm not going to bring somebody out to do this with. But I just kind of want to make the point that this is not a weird thing, right? So here's, I've got here just a bottle of um, uh, virgin olive oil. And there's nothing special about the oil. We didn't order oil that came from the Middle East and had been prayed over by special people or something like that. It didn't come from a special kind of something. Nothing like that. It, it, there's, it's, we don't believe that there's any, it's not, it's not a sacrament. And, there, and there's nothing special in that sense about the oil. It's a symbol, right? And so, you know, so we'd take the oil and something like this, and, and, and you would take some and put it on your finger and we'd place it on the person's head and we'd pray for them. We, we did this just this back this last year, we had a, a, a church member that we all knew and was in leadership here and loved and, and who had been battling uh, cancer for a few years and um, was going through some real serious stuff. And, and, and they, we, we, they were able to come to church, and, and we prayed for them. And, and I took some olive oil and, and as a symbol of the fact that we were setting them apart in a special way that day to pray for them and asking for God's special attention upon them and, and, the, and our leaders we laid hands on them and we, and we prayed for God to heal them. We asked for God's will and all those things but we, but we prayed for, for God's healing because this isn't a weird thing. It, it's an important thing. Uh, and when we do it it's because we believe that we should obey the Bible, right? And, uh, and, and we, we, we believe we need to, to pray. Uh, and, in, and, and in the context of our congregation here, we, we thought it was important to, to, just, to just right there, let, let everybody participate in that, in that prayer. But uh, James uh, makes a point here in instructing this because he wants us praying in all seasons. And there are special times where you might need the leaders of the church to, you might want them to pray for you. And in this person, sometimes people are so overwhelmed and so sick that, that, that even praying becomes becomes more difficult, right? Um, and and they, 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 they just, we, we need one another, right? And we, we need to pray for one another and we need to love one another um, in this way and ask for God's best for one another. And in verse 15, he makes this curious statement, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And what does that mean? Well, here it's the faith of the leaders, by the way, not the faith of the sick person that's being addressed. And the, the Greek word here for save can refer to physical healing, not simply spiritual healing. And here that seems to be the context. You see it used that way in the New Testament in the Gospels. And he says the Lord will raise him up. And that seems to convey that idea of, of the healing of that person. And so we believe something. God still heals people. We believe that and teach that. Every sick believer, well, we know, will one day be healed either in this life or in heaven one day, right? And so sometimes we get sick and we die, and, but we know that in, in heaven there is no sickness and there, there is no death. And at times, God in his goodness and for his glory may choose to heal someone right here in the here and now. Absolutely. And Now, this passage is not a guarantee that if you pray or that if you believe enough or pray enough that someone will be healed. 
Uh, The context of prayer in the Bible is always God's will and submission to God's will. Jesus taught that, right? And much of what James teaches springs from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount that we're to pray, uh, not my will, but your will, right? That your kingdom come, your will be done. So that bathes all this. Keep that in mind. But the point is, it's the prayer of faith that God uses. Not the prayer of the double-minded or the doubtful that James has already rebuked in this book. When we pray, when we pray believing and we pray seeking God's will above all, that's what he's encouraging here. And, and faith, all faith, by the way, all faith is a gift from God. All faith is a gift from God. And so all of this is still connected to God and his supreme will, right? And, and his supreme purposes. And, and so we pray, we ask, we ask believing, but we ask knowing that it's all up to God and it's, 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 it's God who chooses to heal or, or, or not to, but we, we ask, but we ask in the context of his will, but we plead because he's our father. And, and, and we don't know what he, what he might do, but we know he can. We know he's able to, to heal and we want to see people made well. He says, if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Now, this seems to point to the fact that sometimes sickness is caused by sin. Now, that's certainly not always and not even the norm. We know sickness in this world is largely due to the fact of just the, the presence of sin in general. We live in a fallen, broken world. There, it's just the world we live in. And so, um, usually, when we get sick, it's, it's just, that's, that's life in a broken and fallen world. But there can be times, and you see times in the Bible, where sickness is directly connected to someone's sin. Right? So we all get sick living in a fallen world, but at times in the Bible, we see sickness as a result of sin. In fact, I'll give you an example, 1 Corinthians. Uh, some people had uh, tr- uh, treated the Lord's Supper with contempt. They had behaved poorly. They had behaved selfishly and sinfully. And many of them, Paul said, had gotten sick and fell asleep or died. Right, And so um, the Lord's discipline had come upon that place. And so uh, th- 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 that would be an example of sin and, uh, and sickness and uh, being kind of connected there so it seems here that james is saying if they've sinned he says if by the way he says if they've sinned they will be forgiven so i believe he's assuming the repentance he's assuming the confession they're calling on the elders of the church right they're in the community of faith he's assuming that this person is calling on them they're 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 in the community of faith repentance is sort of being assumed here because in the next verse he talks about confessing your sins to one another so um so the, the the context here is that the big idea is that that God wants to minister to us in both the physical and the spiritual. Sometimes those things collide. But, but the, the, the Lord wants to minister to us in, in body. He wants to minister to us in soul. And, and throughout the New Testament, when you see Jesus healing people, you see him ministering to their soul as well, sins being forgiven and th- things of that nature. Because the greatest miracle that God does is not the physical healing, it is the spiritual healing. The, the greatest miracle that could happen in anyone's life um, is not for someone who can't walk to walk, but for someone who is unforgiven to be forgiven, for someone who is spiritually dead to be made alive. That is the greatest miracle that can happen in your life. And if you're here and listening, you're, you're watching, and you're a Christian, that's a miracle. That's a miracle that God took you from spiritual death and brought you into spiritual life. Now, in verse 16, he encourages confession. Confession is encouraged. Um, he says, you're talking about confessing your sins to one another uh, because we're in this together. We walk through life together. And at times, it could be that sickness may be in the community or may be in the member due to sin, right? And here, confession is most likely encouraged either because the sin is of some type that the whole congregation has been offended and been harmed in, in some way, or it may be very public sin and the person needs to be restored in a public manner so people know that this person has repented. Uh, 
Um, that phrase, one another to one another, may encourage us to deal with those sins against one another where we offend one another and it ruptures that relationship, right? We, we know it. Sin destroys, right? It drives a wedge uh, in our lives and in relationships and in the church. And we are family and we need to seek to make it right and not uh, give people a reason to be bitter against us when we do them wrong. Uh, so we seek to be right with God and man. We, we seek, as Hebrew says, to live at peace with all men as much as it depends on us. So we don't let sin and a lack of repentance kill the fellowship of the church and our fellowship with, with one another. And because that's what will happen. If we just go sinning against one another, pushing each other away, um, that, that, that disrupts the fellowship and it can cause bitterness in somebody else's life and, and they're tempted to unforgiveness and things of that nature. So, so we seek uh, to, to be people who forgive and be a people who, who seek forgiveness uh, because we want to be right with God and with man. So that's what James is encouraging here. You know, the Christian life has all sorts of seasons. We suffer, we rejoice, we get sick, and at times we sin. And if you know people long enough, we will likely sin against one another and at times need to apologize and seek forgiveness and at times we'll need to forgive people. So there's this big picture here that we should be looking to God in all seasons when we're suffering, when we're cheerful, or when we're sick. But also here, under this idea of prayer, we need to understand we should look to God with great confidence. We should look to God in all seasons, but we should look to God with great confidence. And in verses, the second half of verse 16 through verse 18, uh, James gives us, uh, talks about the prayer of the righteous person, and he gives us the example of Elijah there. In verse 16, he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So in Christ, we are, we are made righteous, and we are to live righteous in our daily living. And James shows us we can have great confidence when we pray, because there's great power um, as the prayer is working. God answers the prayers of his people. He moves and he works through prayer, and God wants us to pray, and he wants us to trust Jesus. He wants us to live godly lives, and he wants us to pray for one another, and God loves to answer our prayers. And James illustrates uh, with Elijah here. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. And in 1 Kings, you can read his story. Um, at one point, um, as James points out here, God told him to pray that it wouldn't rain, and, 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 and it didn't. And again, God sent, God sent a drought. And then after three and a half years, God told him to pray for rain, and, and it did rain. Now, in this season, right before he prayed for rain, uh, there was the, the people uh, of Israel had had wandered from the Lord, and they, there was idolatry was running rampant. Uh, they were uh, many of them had turned to Baal, which was a false god at that time. And so Elijah goes, and he he uh, he challenges the prophets of Baal to like this big standoff to see who the real God is. Is it Yahweh, or is it Baal? And so the the, the God that can can make it fire rain down from heaven, right? That'll be, that'll be who would decide who the real God is. We'll let, we'll let, we'll let these, we'll, we'll let you let your God do his thing. I'll let my God do his thing. We'll see who God is. Um, that, that's kind of his point here. And so the prophets of Baal, man, they build this altar and they, they chant and they run around and do all kinds of things. And they're calling and they're praying for Baal uh, to, to bring fire and nothing happens. Nothing happens. And in fact, if you go back and read the story, it's 1 Corinthians 18. Um, uh, Elijah begins to mock them and to make fun. And, uh, and so finally when they're done and exhausted with that, Elijah goes and he soaks the altar that he's built with water. He just soaks it, and it's just waters everywhere. And he begins to pray and to call and, and to pray for, for God to, to, to send fire. And, man, the fire comes down and just burns up the altar, laps up all the water. And, you know, and, and God shows right there for everybody. And people just fall down, right, and they're repenting. And the prophets of Baal are destroyed right there on the spot. And then it's time to end the drought. 
And so Elijah prays for it to rain, and it begins to rain, and the drought ends. Later in life, Elijah is taken to heaven, right? And the chariot of fire scoops him up in a whirlwind. Just an amazing story. And there are other stories of incredible miracles that were done and the way God worked through the life of Elijah. He's one of the more unique uh, people in the Old Testament. Now, James here says, he, he tells, brings up the story of Elijah to say this, he's a lot like you. <laughs> and, and I kind of read that, and you, you can't help but kind of laugh. Well, what do you mean? He, right? he, he says, he's a man with a nature like ours. He's saying, he's a lot like us. And you're like, what do you mean? He's nothing like me, right? Uh, but James's point is, he's, he's a fallible human being like you and me, loved by God, made in God's image, but a sinner in need of a Savior, a man with a nature like ours. But he prayed, and God answered his prayers. And the point is, God wants to answer your prayers too. Uh, let me ask you, do you believe that God wants to answer your prayers, and that God wants to use you, and that God wants to work through your life? Because that's what James wants us to believe. You know, I think we have a tendency to read the Bible Kind of like, um, like I might would watch a baseball game. And uh, so, you know, baseball season's just starting back this weekend. I'm just so grateful for something um, other than um, the bad news and politics to be um, out there in the, in the news world. And so great, grateful for that. And so, so baseball is, is, is back. And, you know, when I watch a baseball game, I, I, I can look at those guys out there and I can go, you know, yeah, they're somewhat like me. You know, there's some of them that are my height, maybe some that are my weight, just a lot more muscle tone. And um, they are, uh, you know, I, I can run right? I, I can throw a baseball. I can catch a baseball, right? I can catch a ground ball. I can catch a pop fly. If, you know, as long as it's not too fast or too, or, or, or too great of a pitcher, I can, I could probably hit a baseball. But I know there's a big difference in me and them, and that is that they are extremely more gifted and more talented than I ever have been or ever will be, right? And so there are things that they can do that I cannot do. I can't run like they can run. I can't hit like they can hit. I can't throw like they can throw. Um, and, and so, and, and, and there's like this big difference. And I think sometimes when we read our Bibles and we read those heroes of the faith, we kind of think that, that there was more to work with with them, right? Kind of like I do the, the, the sports athletes that I watch on TV or the baseball players, right? Like there's more natural giftedness there. And we read about these guys and we think, well, yeah, they were made in the image of God like me, but there was just a little extra dose of Imago Day in them. But the truth is, the great things that were done through them were done by God in, in, in coordinate with his sovereign purposes. And no, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not going to be Elijah, and I'm not called to be Elijah, and, and neither are you. But James's point is, we are both humans, both sinners, but we both have access to the same God. And the God that was at work in the Old Testament and the God that was at work in the New Testament is at work in 2020. And the God that saved people in the Old Testament and the God that saved people in the New Testament saves people today. Uh, we, we, we serve and know the same God and we're all fallen, broken people in need of a Savior leaning on and trusting God together. Notice how Elijah prayed. He says he prayed fervently. Literally in the Greek, it said he prayed with prayer. That's exactly what it means. If you read, read it in the Greek, it says he prayed with prayer. <laughs> what, 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 how do we, what does that mean? Well, the, the English translators are saying, well, he's speaking to the fervency, the intensity of the prayer. He passionately and fervently prayed, man. He prayed with prayer. Uh, we need to fervently go to God in prayer with great expectation because God works through prayer. and He loves to answer our prayers. and We, we just need to be people of passionate, fervent prayer. Right? We need to learn from these examples that, that, like James gives us in the Old Testament and to be encouraged and go to God with great expectation. Now, here's the second big point today, and it's a shorter one than the first point, and that's this. Number two, the community of faith should also be a community of pursuit. Let me read to you James chapter 5, the last two verses of the book, 19 and 20. 
My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings, a sinner from his, brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. See, here's the thing. We can either pursue truth or, or we can wander from truth. And the church is a community, right, that's, that's built on truth. We're built on the truth of God's word. Truth matters, and in James we see it as something to be believed, but it's also something to be lived out. We've, we've seen that in James in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2. James will not let us, in his book, separate our beliefs from our life choices. He tells us we're to be doers of the word. He tells us we're to have a faith that works, right? We are to believe correctly. Yes, we need to believe correctly what God's word teaches, and we need to live in light of that. It needs to shape our behavior and our thoughts. We need good theology and we need good living. And we, we, we can't pick one or the other. We, Christianity demands both. And when we wander from either one, that is a wandering from the truth. So if I wander into heresy or I wander into immorality, either way, I'm wandering from the truth of God's word and the truth he's called me to live in light of. And the truth is, if we stop actively pursuing the truth in our believing and in our living, we will tend to wander. Like the old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Well, we need God's help. We're dependent on him. And, 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 and good news, by the way, believer, the God who saved you is the God who will keep you. But here's the thing. We have a responsibility to pursue those who wander from the truth. That's what James is calling us to here. The situation seems to be that in the church we have some folks who will identify with us get baptized, join the church, but over time, they will begin to wander away. Maybe through, um, maybe they're showing that their beliefs uh, and their behaviors, th through their beliefs and behaviors, maybe they're showing that they're not really Christians. And that happens. And they begin to pursue immorality, and they begin to pursue heresy, or whatever it may be. They may wander in belief, they may wander in behavior, but their life more and more gets out of line with God's word, and they no longer begin to look like a Christian. And it could be that they are being revealed as that their faith was not real. We can't judge their heart, but it could be that that's what happened. James' point is go after them. Go after them. Seek to lead them to repent. Confront them in hopes that they will, in love, go after them. Hopes they'll, that they'll come to genuine faith if they don't have genuine faith. Let me ask you, did you, did you ever get, when you was a kid, did you ever get separated um, from your parents, like in a public place? Like maybe in a department store? Like when I was a kid, I, I used to love the, the, the big rings of clothes in the department stores, the big circle rings of clothes. I'd like to like jump into those things and kind of just get lost in there, right? But sometimes you pop out on the wrong side and there's no parent. Um, but you, so you get lost in a grocery store, you get lost at a, uh, at a park or something, like that. you get separated in a crowd and it freaks you out, right? And then finally when you're reconciled, you realize, man, they were, thank goodness, they were looking for you and, and were probably more worried even than, than you were at that time and you know here's the thing someone said one time that the only thing worse than being lost is being lost and no one's looking for you and James's point is we're supposed to be looking for people we're supposed to be looking for people when they wander off sometimes someone wanders by the way and it's a believer who has strayed and sometimes it's someone who is not a genuine believer and their wanders wanderings exposing that it's not always easy for us to tell the difference it's not really our, our job to, 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 to decipher that but the answer is always repentance. They always, the answer is always come to God, repent, look to Jesus. Real believers, by the way, repent. They come back. They may wander off, but they come back. God draws us back. False believers, by the way, that wander off can be brought to faith. They can be brought to faith. That's James's point here. The point is pursue them. This is, this is why Jesus and Paul both teach church discipline, by the way, in the New Testament. In Matthew 18, Jesus talks about it. 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul talks about it. We should lovingly confront sin in the community of faith. 
Uh, when, when someone continues down the path of sin and will not repent of, let's say, their heresy, or they will not repent of their blatant sinful living, and, and they're, they're not repentant, they just continue to pursue it, and we give them multiple chances, and we go to them, and we plead with them, please repent, and we pray for them. At some point, if they refuse to repent, and their heart continues to draw hard, harder and harder, at some point we can no longer treat them as members of the faith community. That's what Jesus would teach you. That's what the Apostle Paul would teach you. They should be removed, not out of hate, not out of love, but to show them the seriousness of their, of their error in hopes that they will repent. And also because church member is for, membership is for genuine believers in Christ, and if someone has given continued good reason to believe that they are not, in fact, a Christian, they should be removed from the membership if they don't desire repentance. And that's not out of hate, that's out of love. That's out of love. It would actually be harmful for us to just act like it's no big deal, and to you know, because sin is a very harmful, harmful thing. And every church um, should have a policy for church discipline and restoration. It should be uh, understood that, we, that that is something that when, when, when we have to, that we practice in love. Um, and um, it, 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 every church should, should have that and because truth matters. And living in light of the truth matters. And pursuing the wanderer matters. And when truth and souls are at stake, James teaches us here, eternity is at stake. James says, when you bring someone back from his wandering, you save his soul from death and you cover a multitude of sins. The point is not that we are doing the saving. And that's not what he's trying to make the point of there. The point is we need to know souls are on the line and eternity's at stake. And when we pursue people who claim to be Christians, but they in fact aren't, and they get saved, that's a glorious, wonderful thing. And I'd add, by the way, when we pursue a wandering Christian and they repent and, 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 and come back to the fold, uh, and even if they were saved all along, that's also a glorious thing that they will thank us for. And that brings glory to God as well. See, the Christian life is war. It's war. And the world is broken. And the church at times, yes, has false believers in it. And believers at times, yes, fall into sin. And we need each other. And we need to pray for one another. And we need to pursue one another in love if we wander away from the truth. This pleases God. It's part of what helps us to endure in this difficult world. As we're in this thing together, we should leave no one behind. And listen, isn't this the way of Christ? Didn't Jesus come after us? When humanity had wandered from God into sin and rebelled against God, God did what? He sent his son. He sent his son into the world. He came to seek, Jesus said. I came to seek and save that which is lost. He, he came for the sick, not the well. He came to save us and to rescue us from sin, death, and hell. He died for who? For sinners, right? For, for, for us when we're at our worst, you and me. Jesus is the ultimate pursuer of sinners. Maybe today he's pursuing you. Maybe you've wandered. Or maybe you've, just, you've never come to genuine faith in Christ. And maybe today the great pursuer is after you, drawing you to himself. Like, can I just encourage you today to, to turn to him in faith? The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've never been saved, if you've never been rescued, if you've never been forgiven of your sin, if you do not have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to turn from sin to Jesus today. The Bible says that though uh, you're loved by God and created in God's image, you're a sinner like me. We've fallen. We've rebelled against God. And we deserve death. We deserve judgment. We deserve God's wrath. We, we deserve to be separated from God forever in a place called hell. But the Bible teaches us that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die in our place and he died he lived the sinless life that we can't live in our place he died the death we deserve to die on the cross and he was risen from the dead 
He has risen from the dead so that through faith in him we might be declared righteous in the eyes of God so that we too can be made alive to God. And if the Bible says if you'll turn from your sin and believe Jesus, believe in Jesus, put your faith and trust in him, believing that he is God's son who died for you and who rose again, that you can be saved, that you can be rescued, that that, that Jesus wants to take your sin away. So if that's never happened for you, I encourage you today to call out to Jesus in faith and to look to him and seek him and and to put your faith and trust in him. And if you do that, would you let us know? Would you email us at info at gonorthpark.com and let us know? Or if you've got questions, would you reach out to us through info at gonorthpark.com and and let us know you've got questions? We'd love to pray with you, answer questions, and help in any way that we can. Believers in Christ, we pray because we have an advocate with the Father. We pray because Jesus is our great high priest and we can go to God through him. And we pursue (laughs) sinners because Jesus pursued us and he still pursues us. He still pursues us when we wander off. Jesus changes everything. He's changed our lives, and he's made us into a community of faith. And in this broken, difficult-to-live-in world, we're in this together. We're in this together, and we're in this with Jesus, and he's in this with us. So let's be a people. Let's be a people who pray, and let's be a people who pursue. Pray with me now. Father, we are thankful today for Jesus who has come after us, rescued us from sin, death, and hell. And uh, we, I thank you just for the privilege and honor it is to be your child and to be born into your kingdom. And for every believer watching, we, say, we just say thank you and help us, Lord, to be a people um, that, that pray and that pray for one another and that, um, and that, and, and that encourage one another and that, and that seek after those that wander from the truth. And Lord, I pray for those that are watching maybe who have wandered from the truth. Lord, bring them back. Lead us to repentance, I pray. If there's anybody watching that doesn't have a relationship with Christ, I pray today that they'd come to saving faith in Christ. I pray for every believer, Lord, for us to be encouraged, to to be further committed to, to just passionate, fervent prayer and to the pursuit of those who need Jesus and those that maybe would even be in our fellowship who would wander away from Jesus. Let us love them enough to call them back. Lord, we we love you and we give you thanks today for your goodness and your faithfulness and for your word and for this book and for the study of this book. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.